Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In J.R.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, he tells us that one of the functions of those particular sorts of narratives, and this would also include not just fairy stories, but other kinds of fantasy and some science fiction, is that of escape. And it's not the kind of escapism that critics tend to reject in favor of confronting real life or standing up to your duties or things like that. Tolkien thinks that escape is something quite legitimate and that we have to have space for it. And he's going to talk about not just escape, escape or escapes plural, but also about human desires. Some of them quite, as he calls them earlier in the essay, primordial, meaning that they are there from the very beginning in us human beings, even down to the late modern period that he's not quite so sanguine about. And so I think it could be quite helpful for us to think about escape in terms of two interconnected categories, because it's not always so simple as just one or the other. Sometimes they're connected with each other. So escape from, but also escape towards, so that there's not just a negation, a trying to get away from something, but also escaping into, escaping towards, escaping seeking, something that it is that we desire. And so he talks first about the escaping from, and there's really three main categories that he's going to bring up in this essay. So he talks about the rawness and ugliness of modern Europe life. He's actually quoting this from Christopher Dawson, Progress and Religion. And he says that this is, the, you know, this, according to that, the real life whose contact we should welcome is the sign of a biological inferiority, an insufficient or false reaction to the environment. And there is a lot of ugliness and rawness in modern life, sometimes deliberately so, you know, think about the brutalism in architecture. We're going to shove this in your face. And he talks about a whole bunch of other examples as well that we don't necessarily need to go through. But the key thing here is that there's something repelling us about this. He talks about the ugliness involved and he talks about the improved means to deteriorated ends. So that's something that he thinks that we want to try to escape from quite naturally. And he gives examples of this noise, stench, ruthlessness, the extravagance of the internal combustion engine. Now, yeah, maybe we take that for granted and we're not so offended by the existence of cars and motorcycles and buses and stuff like that, like somebody from Tolkien's time. But there's other things that we could bring up that are similar to that as well. And then he says that there's a second set of things when there are hunger, thirst, poverty, pain, sorrow, injustice, death. And he calls these hard things, right? Things that we wind up 
facing. Now, not everybody necessarily experiences hunger and thirst as conditions of your their life, but if you have, well, you would want to escape from that. You know, poverty, another prime example. You can be poor in a rich society, and that's not going to be great. Pain. Some people live in chronic pain every single day of their life. Sorrow can come over so many things, including the hunger, thirst, poverty, pain, and other bad things that other people suffer. Seeing that, the spectacle of it can make you feel sorrow, but there's plenty of scope for sorrow in your life as well. Injustice, so much of that around. Now, these, of course, are not unique to modern life. As a matter of fact, they exist everywhere throughout time, and not just for us, but in the case of, you know, some of these hunger, thirst, pain, sorrow exist for animals as well, who are made uh, to suffer because of them. So that's something else that we want to escape from. And sometimes, like he says, fairy tales can offer a type of that. And then finally, he talks about death. Fairy stories, he says, provide many examples and modes of this, which might be called the genuine escapist or fugitive spirit. It's interesting, though, because he doesn't just talk about escaping from death. He also talks about escaping from deathlessness. And he says that the human stories of the elves are doubtless full of the escape from this. And few lessons are taught more clearly in these stories than the burden of that kind of immortality or rather endless serial living to which the fugitive would fly. So death, something we want to avoid, but a kind of living death of just serial living, perhaps another thing that we want to avoid. So escaping from... All of these are important. They can play a role in the plots of fairy stories, but they're also something motivating us to find solace, consolation in those as well. But then it's not just a matter of running away, of fleeing, right? There's also escaping towards, and he talks about desires. And the first one that corresponds to this rawness and ugliness of modern life is one for the beauty and goodness of the human made. Things that are artifacts, And this is quite interesting. He tells us that to us, evil and ugliness seem indissolubly uh, allied. We find it difficult to conceive of evil and beauty together. The fear of the beautiful fae that ran through the elder ages almost eludes our grasp. Even more alarming, goodness is itself bereft of its proper beauty. In fairy, one could indeed conceive of an ogre who possesses a castle hideous as a nightmare. For the evil of the ogre wills it so. But one cannot conceive of a house built with a good purpose, an inn, a hostel for travelers, the hall of a virtuous and noble king. That is yet sickeningly ugly. At the present day, it would be rash to hope to see one that was not unless it was built before our time. And so he talks about this escapism going back to a time when human beings were, as a rule, delighted with the work of their hands into our time when many people feel disgust with man-made things because of the ugliness. We want beauty and goodness. We want haleness, you could say, health, wholeness again. 
Another desire that we have is for overcoming what he calls ancient limitations. And this can take several different forms. One of these, he says, is a pardonable weakness or curiosity, the desire to visit free as a fish the deep sea, or the longing for the noiseless, gracious, economical flight of a bird, that longing which the airplane cheats except in rare moments, seen high and by wind and distance noiseless, turning in the sun, that is precisely when imagined and not used. So we have this desire to travel to all sorts of places that are just not accessible for us. And for some of us, this could be not quite so far as the air or the depths of the sea. You know, it could be a matter of that land over there that we just can't access. But then he says there's others as well. He tells us there are profounder wishes, such as the desire to converse with other living things. Now, we converse with other living things when we talk with fellow humans, don't we? And if we have pets or other animals that we're engaged in, we kind of talk to them, we chatter a lot. We don't really know what they're saying back to us. What if we could actually converse with them? What if that was a possibility? He says, on this desire as ancient as the fall is largely founded the talking of beasts and creatures in fairy tales, and especially the magical understanding of their proper speech. This is the root, Tolkien claims, and not the confusion attributed to the minds of men of the unrecorded past, an alleged absence of the sense of separation of ourselves from the beast. A vivid sense of that separation is very ancient, but also a sense that it is a severance, that there's something lacking, something lost, something, a privation that has taken place. He says, a strange fate and a guilt lies upon us. Other creatures are like other realms with which man has broken off relations and sees now only from the outside at a distance, being at war with them or on the terms of an uneasy armistice, right? And he says even about frogs, you know, a creature that we often kind of despise and in fairy tales are not particularly well looked upon. And he says that it's of little avail to consider totemism. Whatever customs or beliefs about frogs and wells lie behind the stories the frog shape was and is preserved in the fairy story precisely because it was so queer in the marriage between a frog and a princess. Absurd, even abominable, right? The point of the story lies not in thinking frogs possible mates, but in the necessity of keeping promises that together with observing prohibitions runs throughout all of fairyland. So this is an integral part of that desire as well. And then he talks, returning to the death thing, the oldest and deepest desire that we have is the great escape, the escape from death. This is something that we are looking for as well. So the escapes that are involved in fairy tales are not just escapes away from, they are also attempts to escape back towards into something that we deeply desire. And that's why these stories, when they're well-crafted, really reach into our very hearts and help us to deal with, for example, sorrow or ugliness or having to confront death. All of these, Tolkien thinks, are legitimate motives that run throughout the crafting and also the appreciation and enjoyment of fairy stories. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. 
Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>